0: You're listening to the E2C Network, podcast by Auburn fans, for Auburn fans.
1: Hello and welcome to War Horses, the only college equestrian podcast that's feeling emotionally drained right now. I'm your host, Auburn Elvis. Let's talk about some equestrian. Well, the biggest news in college equestrian this week was the NCEA National Championships. And as you'll recall from the last episode, Auburn entered the tournament undefeated and ranked number one in the country, riding a 42-meet winning streak and looking pretty good. The Tigers were matched against number eight seed Baylor in the tournament, and they entered the tournament with two quality wins on the season. One over TCU to open Big 12 play, and one over Fresno State in the Big 12 consolation match. So basically bookends to their season. Everything else in the middle, they lost. So in my tournament preview article, I explained how the NCAA tournament differs from most of the regular season. In the tournament, you only ride four riders in every event instead of five. Now this pairing down of the starting roster can make a big difference on a team's performance. And we had seen that with Fresno State, which rode all of its conference meets in four-on-four. And that was because of the compressed schedule uh, due to COVID and the Midwest ice storms. Now, I had talked about how Auburn would most likely benefit from the uh, four-rider format in the flat event. And I also talked about how selecting the top four riders uh, in the other events is going to make for some very difficult choices for Auburn. I also alluded to how Auburn is so deep this year that in fences, there was actually going to be a fifth rider who would sit on the bench and that she would basically uh, win 60% of her points and yet not be a starter. So yeah, there were going to be some significant effects of that and it proved to be true. (laughs) So in my preview, I had Auburn favored in nine of the 16 rides. I had Baylor favored in two of the 16 rides, and then there were five toss-up rides. So, uh, one word about the predictions. When I go in and do these, I look at the riders' performance, I see what their winning percentages are, I see which teams they have won or lost against, and the individual riders that they win or lose against, and how good those riders are. Are they the number one rider for their team, two, three, four, five, or even worse than that? And then I compare all of that, and I, I lump them together into these groups. And so if one rider is in a higher group than the rider she's going against, then I say that rider is favored. If they're in the same group, then it's a toss-up. And so that's how I do the favoring. Um, I'm basically ordering the class, is, is what I'm doing, for those of you who know what that means in, the, in Equestrian. Now, in the nine matchups in which Auburn was favored... Auburn only won six of those. In the five toss-up matches, Auburn won zero of those. And in the two that Baylor was favored, actually, uh, Auburn won one of those, so pulled a big upset there. So here are the key situations that determine the meet. And it's not just one or two, it's a bunch of them. Now, I'm not going to say the names of the writers or the events, because the whole point of this is not to call out any specific writer. This was a team loss by Auburn, and no single rider was to blame for this. Now, first, let's look at the two matchups that Baylor was favored in. Okay, in this one, Auburn's number four rider in the event uh, averaged about 56% of her wins, uh, or of her meets that she won, was going up against Baylor's number one rider in the event, who had a winning percentage of 80%. Okay, so these two riders were not in the same group. This was an advantage for Baylor. And actually, in this one, Auburn actually won the point. So, good job there. In the next matchup, there was an Auburn who, rider who was number four on the Auburn team. She wins about 50 per, no, wins exactly 50% of her meets, going up against Baylor's number one rider in an event. So, this would be a different event. And this rider has won 100% of her rides. That point went to Baylor. Okay, so we figured that would happen. All right, but it was was a little bit of a surprise on that other one. So good job, Auburn. Now we get into the um, toss-ups. So we have a matchup here. Auburn's number four rider who wins 82% of the time going up against Baylor's number one rider who wins 83% of the time. So even though one of them is low down the list for Auburn, they're actually pretty comparable. Baylor won that point. The next matchup, Auburn's number three rider wins 50% of the time going up against Baylor's number two rider who wins 57% of the time. Point to Baylor. Another matchup, Auburn's number one rider who wins 94% of her time going up against Baylor's number one rider who only wins 56% of her time. Baylor won that point. Auburn's number four rider in the event Uh, who wins 63% of the time, going up against Baylor's number three. So again, Auburn number four versus Baylor number three. And this girl only wins half the time, 50%. Point Baylor. Auburn's number two rider wins 75% of her time, going up against Baylor's number two, who wins 72% of her time. Point Baylor. So all of those toss-up points where the girls were um, in the same grouping, Baylor won every single one of those. Okay, let's keep going. It gets even worse. In the next matchup, Auburn's second best rider in an event, who wins 88% of her time, going up against Baylor's second ride rider in the event, who only wins 50% of the time. And she actually has lots of losses to low-level Big 12 opponents. Okay, this girl for Baylor. Baylor won that point. That was a big upset. Auburn was favored in that, did not get it. Next matchup. This was, again, something Auburn was favored in. Auburn's number three rider who wins 88% of her time, and I promise you this was a different rider in a different event, uh, going up against Baylor's number six rider. So this was a case where it was a girl who didn't have as good of a winning percentage, but because she had more experience, I believe this girl was a senior, um, who only wins 22% of her time, so not even a quarter. This ended up a no-point tie. So we have an Auburn rider who wins... Almost every single time, got could not beat a Baylor rider that doesn't even win a quarter of the time. Okay, and continuing on, we have uh, Auburn's number one rider in this event who wins 94% of her time. So almost every single dang time, going up against Baylor's fifth rider. And again, this was one of those uh, situations where they didn't ride their fourth best rider; they rode their fifth best rider because she has more experience, even though she doesn't have as many wins. She only wins 33% of the time, so a third of the time, point Baylor. She upset the Auburn top rider. And then um, uh, the remaining six matchups that were favored for Auburn actually went to Auburn, and so I'm not going to go through those in detail. But basically what you're seeing there is I I don't think this is a case of Baylor riding really well. This really seems to be a case of multiple Auburn riders Making multiple mistakes and dropping points that they should have won. Now, I can understand giving up many of the toss ups because, again, that's the whole definition of the toss up. But losing three of the nine favored matchups is just, that's rough. And especially in some of these situations where it's the top Auburn rider going against not even someone in the top four on Baylor's team. It's just, that's rough. But again, not singling out any one rider because it didn't happen to just one rider. It happened to multiple riders. In in any other meet, Auburn would have taken a bunch of more points. It did not happen against Baylor. Uh, Just to put it in a little bit more context, this Auburn team was probably in the top five of most talented equestrian teams in history. And this Baylor team would not even make it into the top 50 most talented teams of all time. So this was, without a doubt, the largest upset in Team Equestrian history. I mean, it just it just was. This was a monumental upset. So, obviously, we need to ask the question, what happened? How did Auburn lose this? And I want to start with a disclaimer. Now, some of you are probably not going to like what I, I'm about to say. And I want you to know that I'm not pushing any agenda here. I'm honestly just trying to figure out w- what happened here. And I'm doing my best with the knowledge that I had. And if someone else out there has more expertise than me, if you have a different theory, let me know. I will bring you on the show if you want. Or if you don't want, you can just tell me and tell me why you think that, and I will defer to your expertise. But in the absence of that, I have to go with what I have in front of me, and this is it. This whole season, there has been a recurring message from Greg Williams about this team that I think gives us insight into how this loss occurred, or or actually why this loss occurred. Greg has said on numerous occasions something to the effect of, everyone on this team knows that if they make a mistake on a ride, one of their teammates has their back. Now, the obvious plus side of this sentiment is that there is strength and depth on this team, and they are all working together. They're all working towards a team goal. That's the positive. However, I think there is a negative side to this as well. And I wonder if that sentiment could have led to more personal acceptance of an individual's rider uh, if, her, if her performance was less critical to the success of the overall team. And I think that inadvertently created situations where if multiple riders were making co- costly mistakes on their rides, they were, were each believing that these mistakes would not have large consequences. Because, you know, as we saw, you know, there were a lot of instances in which a, an Auburn writer probably should have taken those points. And I think what it did was, there was a feeling of, well, if I make a mistake, someone's got my back, which is, again, a, a positive thing to, to believe and to act on. But the downside of that is, multiple writers were thinking that, so when they went out and they made their mistakes, there was less um i guess immediacy or focus on just how critical their individual rides were because of course, in a meet where you've got five riders going against five riders, that's twenty rides total, and there's a lot more rides that can make up for mistakes when you go down to just sixteen rides, like in the national championship tournament, there are fewer rides that can make up for mistakes. So when you start piling multiple riders having mistakes all at the same time, there just aren't enough riders remaining that can make up for that many mistakes. And I think that's what we saw. So what does this mean for Auburn? Going forward, um, there is a silver lining here. This issue, if this is correct, is 100% correctable. Uh, Auburn will have a talented team next year. It just won't have a supremely talented team. And I think if that team places more emphasis on that individual impact, that individual rider's contribution, and, and maybe change that mindset a little bit more to one of saying, I know that my teammates have my back, but I want to make sure that that insurance policy never comes into play. Because it is basically a very nice insurance policy to know that well, I've got all Americans also riding, and if I do make a mistake, they will probably get the point. That's a nice sentiment, but the the mindset really needs to be one of, I never want that to come into play. I want to get my point. That is my responsibility, and I'm going to go out and do it. And I I just wonder if Auburn had that mentality. But again, disclaimer, I'm only working with what I've got in front of me. If somebody else has more insight and wants to call me out, that's fine, I'm willing to let you do that. Because again, I really just want to get to the truth here. And and I understand we may never know the truth, but this is my best attempt at it. So for what it's worth, I really hope you know I hope this helps people just get a,
0: an understanding of what might have happened. We're gonna take a quick break from this episode for a special announcement. One of the things that we take great pride here at the E2 c Network are our listeners are really our E2C network family. Now, I know they enjoy listening to us, but let's be honest. Every once in a while, they probably would like a little bit of change of pace. Well, that's where you come in if you're a business owner. If you have any interest in partnering with us in terms of ads or sponsorships on our podcast episodes, you can reach us at e2cnetwork at gmail.com. Let us help you reach the widest variety of Auburn fans out there. I mean, come on. Who else listens to a network where they cover everything from Auburn football to The Bachelor and the connections it has with Auburn. Utilize our podcasts, Facebook live shows, and other flexible partnership opportunities that are available upon request. Let us help you reach the E2C Network family and the Auburn family at large on how you might best be able to serve them. Reach out to us at E2CNetwork at gmail.com for more information. That's all we have for you in this special message. Let's get back into the episode. (sighs) So,
1: let's move on. on. We've covered that enough. Now, there was a whole rest of the tournament that was still going on. You know, the world doesn't stop just because Auburn loses. And uh, we'll go through that. Now, I I understand that 95% of my listeners are Auburn fans, and the part that we just covered hurts, and to continue talking about the tournament, that hurts too. So we're just going to do this pretty quickly, and I'm I'm not going to go into as much detail as I normally go into when I'm talking about meets. So we'll give you the the cliff notes versions of these. So uh, another quarterfinal, we had Oklahoma State versus Fresno State. This one was kind of one sided from start to finish. Oklahoma State ended up winning the meet ten to six. Uh, the Cowgirls won flat four to nothing, and then all the others went two to two. So and it actually I think started out with a flat, so they jumped out to a huge lead, and it was over basically from word go. Uh, it was an easy win for them, and they were the number two seed in the tournament, so they advanced. The other quarterfinal that was going on or the next quarterfinal was SMU versus Texas A&M. Now this one was extremely close. It ended in a 7-7 tie and then SMU advanced with the raw points tiebreaker. Uh the numbers that I had done in the preview, they suggested that SMU really should have won more easily, but I noticed uh that the numbers were probably skewed by Texas A&M's really tough schedule because again, they rode versus Georgia and Auburn 5 times and SMU's toughest um four opponents were uh TCU and so uh not TCU two opponents were TCU so they were a, a lesser schedule in terms of competitiveness and just sheer numbers so i felt like even though SMU had a lot a large numbers advantage that uh the talent gap really wasn't that big and it turned out not to be it was a 7-7 tie but SMU advanced in the next quarterfinal the last quarterfinal of the day we have Georgia versus TCU Now, In the preview, I thought this one would be closer because a lot of the um, overlapping points production, OPP charts that I came up with, a lot of those were basically done into splits into three um, uh, portions that were mostly even, and so what that suggested is that each team would get about a third of the points at minimum and that they would really be fighting over that middle third. It didn't quite work out that way. Uh, Georgia ended up winning 10-6. to They uh, they won flat and raining three to one, and then the other events were two to two. So once they kind of got that that lead in, on the flat and raining, they were able to just sort of close out the meet and win kind of comfortably. So with the quarterfinals out of the way, um, you know Friday came and proved that Thursday was not a bad dream. Auburn was not in the tournament, and so everything continued. SMU versus Baylor in semifinal number one. Um, they had a very exciting meet. This thing went back and forth. Ultimately, SMU won uh, eight to six, but Baylor did very well. And, you know, I think being at home really helped them this weekend. I mean, I, I do think going back to the Auburn meet, uh, a lot of, of that meet was Auburn underperforming, but Baylor certainly, you know, did perform well. I mean, they they made fewer mistakes and that's how they got those points. It's just that, even with their performance, Auburn still should have been able to beat them. But we're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about the the uh semifinal and uh Baylor loses to SMU. In the other semifinal they were very evenly matched. Uh this meet was actually tied six all going into the final event, equitation on the flat. And then Georgia just went crazy and swept the flat four to nine uh, four to nothing and won ten to six. So very close until the very end and flat is a tricky event. I mean some teams are good at it. A lot of teams struggle where they'll have one rider, maybe two, who's good in it, and then they're just happy to, you know, roll the dice on the other riders because it's just it's just a tricky event. And yeah, Georgia nailed it this time. So they advanced. And uh with them being the two and three and with Auburn being out of it, I kind of figured, okay, whoever won this meet was probably gonna end up winning the national championship. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing for you, unfortunately. So now we move on to Saturday's finals, um, and it's between SMU and Georgia. And, uh, you know, SMU rode really well. They kept it close the whole day. Um, The Mustangs had the big crowd advantage. I mean, the whole thing's in Texas. So they had about five times more fan than Georgia did. They were very organized. They brought signs and glitter hats and all this stuff. And, you know, it was their first time in the finals. So they had a great time, except for the score. But they still enjoyed themselves. Uh, in the last event, reigning, Georgia had the seven to five lead, so it meant that SMU had hopes, but slim, because the raining had given SMU trouble and some key meets earlier in the season, and it gave them trouble here. Or, well, I mean, it went two to two, but they had some opportunities to maybe get the lead or, or bring it into a tie and possibly win. They just couldn't quite do it. So Georgia won nine to seven, and they are your new national champions. Uh, One interesting bit of trivia, the SEC runner-up, so whoever comes in second in the SEC tournament, has gone on to win the national championship four times, and the SEC tournament champion has only gone on to win it twice, which, besides just being an interesting tidbit, I think that is a great example of the effect of going from five riders down to four, Because with five riders, if you have a deeper team, a lot of times you can win on the sheer number of talent. And when you go down to that four rider format, uh, precision of your riding is a lot more important. And, you know, we don't want to go back into the Auburn loss too much, but I think it reinforces a lot of my theory about that loss, that with four riders, every point is more important. You can't you can't have a mindset of, oh, my teammate can make up for my mistakes. that That's not going to cut it in a, four, a four-on-four tournament. So moving right along, we also had the first single-discipline uh, national championship between Sweetbriar and Lynchburg. Now, again, they don't do the Western riding. They just do the uh, jump and seat, which is the fancy English riding. And this was a rematch of their meet that they had at Auburn when they both came and visited Auburn. And this one pretty much went down the exact same way as that one did. Uh, Sweet Briar won both of the events, three to one, and then that equals for your Bama fans six to two overall. So congratulations, Vixens! Uh, you are my favorite national champions this year. Now the tournament overall was about as good as it could be, considering just how many COVID restrictions were going on you know, everybody's getting tested, and, you know, they're not letting as many people in, and they turned all the awards into video segments and did them remotely, and, you know, they reduced it to just the team national championships, no event tournaments, so all these changes, it just really made the place, the place was mostly empty the whole time, and it made it seem very incomplete. Like, you could tell this was not normal, this was not, it just, something was missing, a lot was missing. But they did the best they could, and you know, and that's what we had. It's certainly better than last year. When we didn't have a tournament, so knock on wood, <laughs> or I guess beggars can't be choosers. That's a better idiom. Um, now, as for my personal experience, I will say that going into this season, coming out of COVID, and knowing that oh, okay, we're getting some things back. If we if we do sensible restrictions, we can do some things. I was excited. I made plans months ago, made my reservations, my plane, my my hotel rental car, all that stuff. This was my birthday weekend. And so this was going to be my birthday present to myself. And then as the date drew nearer, uh, more and more roadblocks kept getting thrown up in my path. And I mean, Baylor didn't want to let me in as a media person. The NCA kept throwing out all these silly reasons about, oh, you know, one extra person is, is just an unthinkable violation of safety rules and I appealed to so many different folks. I even appealed to folks within Auburn, but I went anyway because these rules were dumb, and I knew they were dumb, and I knew I could get in, and so I did, and I knew that by doing that, it would be a more authentic reporting experience, and so I did it, and part of it was just to kind of prove the point that these rules are dumb. Anyway, moving along, and Auburn's loss notwithstanding, it all went kind of fine. Um, now Auburn losing so early did make it tougher, but I soldiered on and, you know, I was there anyway, and I knew a lot of folks would enjoy the reporting, as sad as it might have gotten at certain times, uh, and so I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I, you know, suffered on through and did it. But the whole experience was draining. I'm just gonna say that. And I'm gonna be doing some thinking on how I cover this sport before next season, because, you know... I kind of accidentally grew into being the only independent national reporter of this sport. And it takes a lot of work to maintain that, Um, especially in that quest that I've been going on to be legitimate. I mean, there's lots of things that legitimate reporters do because they get paid to do that. That's their darn job. So when you're doing it on the side and you're trying to say, well, hey, I'm in that same class. Well, then you better start turning out work product that is somewhere close to that. Well, that's time. And, you know, okay. So I did it, and I'm glad I did it. I'm okay with it. But just looking ahead, I'm like, if this is what it takes, and if I'm not getting any support anyway, because again, you know, one of the things that's going to help me maintain this is if I get Auburn and maybe some other organizations recognizing, hey, you know, this guy is an actual reporter, and we're going to treat him more like one. It's really key that, you know, I kind of work some things out. So all that to say... I'm going to do some soul searching and some thinking, and we'll see what happens. But I really like where this is going, so that's handled. We'll move on now. So what is next for Auburn? What is next for the sport? Uh, coming up, we got summer camps. Uh, Auburn has begun scheduling those because the NCA has finally uh, ended the recruiting dead period, and we can kind of get back to having recruits on campus. And, you know, the, the camps are the biggest way we do that. It's the biggest way we recruit and evaluate. And we haven't been able to do that since last April. So it's going to be nice to get these athletes on campus, and that's where Auburn really sells itself, is when we get people there and they can see what's going on and what Auburn truly is. Also, we're going to have uh, some Auburn-centric awards coming up soon. The Auspies are going to be live-streamed, and they'll actually be coming out, well, by the time you're listening to this, yesterday. And um, I expect uh, some riders, particularly Taylor St. Jacques, to win something. And I think she might be in contention with maybe basketball's uh, Unique Thompson or track's Joyce Camelli for Female Athlete of the Year. So we'll see. Uh, by the time you listen to this, uh, we'll see if that prediction comes true. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, Auburn is going to retain a lot of the talent. We're losing Taylor St. Jacques. Uh, Deanna Green and Erica Kaczynski, and together they total an average of just under four points every meet, on average, (laughs) which, you know, that's a lot, and uh, it's going to take our average point production down when they leave, and that's, you know, it's going to go from about three and a half where it is right now down to nine and a half if we don't replace them, so obviously the job is we got to replace those points. How do we do that? Well, you do it with uh, you make improvements, better training, better focus, get those returning starters to, you know, have higher winning percentages. You want to develop some of the talent that maybe hasn't been a consistent starter, get them into that realm where they can be starting and winning points. And then plus it's the recruits, the new girls that are going to be coming in. Hopefully some of them will be, you know, potential starters in that freshman class. So we'll get we're going to keep an eye on that as well. Now, uh, as far as what we'll do in the offseason for the show itself, I'd like to do some interviews with former writers on their experiences. I will probably actually reach out to the three ladies that I just mentioned and some others. Uh, I'll wait a little bit until after the sting of this defeat has worn off, um, but I'd really like to get some other voices on this show so it's not just me talking for 30 minutes. And of course, I'll try you know, to keep you up uh, to date on any new developments that comes up. Uh Auburn will be hosting the SEC tournament next year. So I'm hoping that, you know, Alan Green and them are gonna get the live streaming settled so that maybe we'll get some meets live streamed next year, and that'll get us ready for hosting the tournament, which itself should be live streamed. So as I close, um I know this episode has been a little melancholy, but I don't want to end it that way. Instead, I'd like to say that this team has just been and, and is an amazing athletic force. Their dominance over the past three years was so captivating that it transformed me from being just some casual fan to being one of its biggest cheerleaders. And I can tell you that covering this group has been worth all the work and all the stupid little hoops that I have been asked to jump through just to be there while they demonstrate their excellence. I have often compared what this group uh, has accomplished to the historic run that women's basketball had in the 80s or to uh, rowdy gains in the swimming and diving teams of the late 70s and early 80s, and I still believe that comparison is accurate. This Auburn equestrian team is just amazing, and I have really enjoyed witnessing their history in person. So thank you
0: very much for listening, War Eagle and War Horses.